Pastors and everybody else who's joining us in the meeting today. Maybe before I make any remarks, just to ask uh, Tim Bingosi uh, if you've got any uh, urgent apologies. I have already seen in the chat Honorable Melda, who will at 10 past two get onto a flight and has therefore apologized. Do you have any other apologies? Good afternoon, Chairperson and members. Chairperson, uh, no apologies. Uh, we had one for late uh, training, but I see the member is on the platform. Thank you, Chair. Uh, th thank you very much. Uh, honorable members, again, let me welcome you to the meeting. We, I'm welcoming you back because we, we, we had a pause in Recording our Recording in progress having started in 2021 and uh, had two meetings. Our last meeting would have been on the 28th of July. Uh, in that meeting, we discussed uh, and brainstormed some of the items that are on the agenda, including the terms of reference. Uh, and we concluded that meeting with a, an action that we're going to come back and adopt some of the things that we discussed. We all know that uh, two days after we had the, the Cape High Court that uh, made a judgment that affected our process. And, and, and uh, respectfully, we, we observed uh, that process. We all aware that therefore the speaker had to got into, get into the process uh, in the form of appeal. Uh, we're here today because the highest court in the land had attended to the matters that were raised uh, in the appeal by the speaker as well as the Democratic Alliance uh, in relation to the, the Cape High Court judgment. And, and uh, we're going to get a summary of what that judgment says in terms of the item on the agenda so that all of us are on the same page uh, of what that judgment entails. We also going to uh, get uh, as we did the last time, and this is something that would have been sent to you as a draft. We're going to get a presentation on the draft terms of reference. And I want to urge members uh, on both these items, it's important that we apply our minds, uh, especially item two as uh, the draft terms of reference. This is important in the manner that this is how we're going to work. It's going to guide our work. Uh, and that process is going to be as important as whatever outcome that we want to come up with at the end. So I'm going to invite that you are able to to do that in a manner that assists the process. Um, obviously, we're also going to, uh, as was presented, which then had to change, uh, discuss the, the revised committee program that also has been sent to you. Uh, and the last item will be for us to consider the minutes of that meeting that I've referred to of the 28th of July. Um, I, I do welcome Honorable uh, Brad Heron as the new member uh, who, has, who has joined us. Uh, welcome. Um, 
I see all other members uh, were with us. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, if uh, there's no other uh, issue, I would like to get straight to it and invite uh, our, our legal team to lead us in the presentation on the first issue uh, of just, uh, I know that all of you have, have read this, have gone through it, and thank you for that, but I thought it's important as a committee that uh, we, we, we have a bit of a reflection on it. And uh, we're going to ask uh, Barbara Lewis to take us through that. Thank you very much, uh, Barbara. Thank you, Chair. Good afternoon, good afternoon, members. Uh, Chair, uh, you did a very good job in outlining how we got here. <clears throat> so I'm not gonna go through the background of it. And we started at the High Court and we ended at the Constitutional Court. Um, Chair, two issues were um, of concern or impacted the committee process when we left the High Court stage. It was the uh, legal representation and whether full legal representation should be allowed to a Chapter 9 office bearer and whether a judge can serve on the panel to do that prima facie um, assessment. Uh, the High Court found that the limitation that was placed on the right to legal rep representation was irrational. They said for um, a process to be reasonable and procedurally fair, there needs to be flexibility to allow full legal representation. And they therefore um, found our rules lacking in that regard. Um, so we had a challenge on that issue. And then the second point, the High Court looked at the de desirability of a judge to serve as a panel, and they found it to be not desirable for a judge to serve on that independent panel, um, based on the fact that they were of the opinion that it offended the principle of the separation of powers. So when we went to the Constitutional Court, it was to gain clarity on those two points. The Constitutional Court agreed with the uh, with the High Court on the issue of full legal representation, and they said that the, it, there's no um, rational basis to limit a full legal representation based on the argument that the, uh, the chapter nine office bearer should be held accountable or personally accountable. The court found that uh, procedural fairness uh, uh, requires that full legal representation be allowed for that person to assist the chapter nine office bearer in um, with witnesses and questioning and dealing with that. But very important, the court did note that allowing that does not stop or absolve the uh, Chapter 9 office bearer from responding in person to questions posed by the committee. So that person will still need to account personally, but will have um, the assistance of full legal representation uh, in uh, the, I want to say, the workings and the processes of the committee as we go through the inquiry. For that year, the, um, the Constitutional Court therefore uh, severed a part of the rule uh, that that limited that. So we now have a situation where the Constitutional Court said our rules must read as full legal representation. Then when it came to the issue of allowing a judge to serve on the panel, the Constitutional Court found that the High Court erred in its evaluation of the situation. It said it's not a question of desirability, but a question of um, permissibility, rather. And in looking at desirability, the High Court made a subjective evaluation when it should have made an objective evaluation. Um, they found that it does not, uh, that the separation of powers principle in our, in our Constitution is not absolute. It, there are certain 
overlaps, but that's also why we have checks and balances. And the fact that the, um, the speaker in appointing the panel, especially when it, comes, or when it comes to a judge, needs to consult with the chief justice, means that the separation of powers is protected and it's not, it's not infringed on. Um, the Constitutional Court also noted that a judge is actually very well placed to perform this function because of the lack of bias and the independence that's associated with the um, with the judiciary. So uh, in that instance, then, um, the court found that our rules as far as the as a judge serving on an independent panel is constitutional. So um, that process up until now where we are stands. The Constitutional Court found nothing wrong with our process up until this point. From here on, uh, on then, as um, Patino speaks to the terms of reference, we need to make allowance for the full legal representation and how that will impact on um, the committee's work and, and how it's formed, uh, the process is formed going forward. Then, Chair, uh, members would have seen in the news today that there is a letter that went out uh, from the attorneys of the public protector uh, stating that she is planning on filing a rescission application against the, um, the constitutional court's ruling. As, as the legal situation stands now, there is no such application yet. So there is no legal impediment from our officer's perspective for the committee to continue. Like Chair said, the highest court in the land gave a judgment, and we are following that judgment. Um, I, I know there may have been some developments this morning, Chair, that I have not yet had eyes on due to other responsibilities. So with permission, I will um, ask uh, my uh, litigation senior, Mrs. Aviva Njikela, to just um, assist in clarifying that further. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Ms. Lewis. Uh, Mr. Jigela, you've been put on the spot. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Um, as my colleague has indicated, yesterday there was a letter that was sent to the Speaker, and I believed that you were copied in that correspondence, wherein the public protector made her intentions very clear that she intends to apply to the Constitutional Court for a rescission of certain parts of the judgment or order of the Constitutional Court. On the basis of that intended rescission application, she made a proposal or a request to the Speaker and I suppose to the committee as well to adopt the same attitude that they had adopted when the matter was going to the Constitutional Court for an appeal in the first round. That we had made a sensible decision by deciding to put the process on hold until the Constitutional Court has, has ruled on the issue. And again, that issue is raised that since there is an application that will be pending soon, we should consider putting this process on hold in deference to that decision application. We responded to that letter, and in our response, we briefly indicated that as far as we are concerned, there are no legal obligations on Parliament to stop the process at this moment, since there is no application at all, or an interdict to stop the process. Uh, like Dr. Woods was indicating now, just about over an hour ago, 
we received another response from them, which basically persists with that proposal that the process be put on hold pending the determination of the rescission judgment, which has not been filed by them. In their letter yesterday, they indicated that they will do so in, in 10 or 15 days. So, Chair, as far as we are concerned, from a litigation point of view, there is nothing before us other than a declaration of intention to do so. So there is no legal impediment from the work of the committee, but it is up to the committee to consider the correspondence and make a decision as it was done previously on whether the committee would like to give that process an opportunity to unfold before it proceeds on the basis of, of, of the constitutional court judgment. Briefly, Chairperson, those are the recent developments between yesterday and today. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, both to yourself, uh, Mr. Jigela and Ms. Woods. Uh, honorable members, at this point, before we go to the next item, I think it's proper that I invite you to make very brief comments because what we have just received um, is, a, is a summary um, of the judgment itself that you've already seen yourself, um, basically to, to, to put us all at one space. But secondly, they have now just raised an issue about uh, a request, an intention, um, that there is a possible rescission in the, in, in the pipeline uh, in 10 to 15 days' time. So there's a request that we wait for 15 days um, for, for, for the application to be done, and, 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 and then we follow that process. I think uh, what is also very clear from the presentation is that as things stand, um, we, we have the highest court that has made a, a, a judgment on this and, and there is nothing uh, that uh, stops us from proceeding. Uh, there is no interdict and as well as there's no application, but I would like to invite uh, members to briefly reflect on that before we go to the next item and I'm, I'm noting Honorable um, Arnel Lothrit, followed by Honorable Brett Heron, followed by Honorable Doris Lahude, as well as Boise Maneli. In that order. Uh, Honorable Lothrit. Um, good afternoon, Chairperson and uh, members. Thank you very much. Chairperson, I think it's very clear that there is no application um, at this point. Um, and I fully believe that uh, this committee can proceed with its work. There is no impediment. And I do not believe that um, we should accede to a request on the basis that uh, an application will be filed. So I think we should proceed looking at uh, the agenda we have this afternoon. There's absolutely nothing uh, on which we will take decisions that will have an impact basically on uh, what the court found. So I would propose that we proceed with our meeting this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Honorable Harris. Uh, Aaron? Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Um, I agree with Honorable um, Lottery that we should pr um, proceed. Uh, I mean, obviously, a, a rescission application would usually suspend um, proceeding, uh, proceedings like this. 
But in the absence of a real application, um, I think we should proceed. And in any event, if we adopt the proposed program, um, the real work starts at the end of March, and that gives the public protector plenty of time to bring a real application. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Aaron. Honorable Nagude. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Good afternoon to you two and uh, Honorable Members. Honorable Chair, let me start by uh, welcoming the, the, the presentation by the legal services and also appreciate their clarifications in this regard with regard to the intention of the PP to, 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 or to apply for the rescission of that uh, judgment of the concord. So ours is that given the clarification by the legal services, ours is to proceed with the work of parliament as we are expected to. Thank you very much. And adopt the 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 the, 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 the program of the committee as well as the the, the terms of references. Thanks uh, honorable chair so that other uh, uh, so that other uh, work can start to, uh, to unfold. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Glagute. Ahbari Denner. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, and thank you for the presentation. I was actually covered by the previous speakers, but I would just like to also agree that as there is no rescission application filed as yet, I agree that we proceed as we have decided to proceed and adopt the terms of reference and until there is uh, eventually a rescission, a rescission, sorry, sorry, Chair, a rescission application filed. Thank you, Chair. I send us here. Thank you. Um, Honorable Maneli. No, thank you, uh, Chair. I think uh, the points would have been covered uh, that indeed we should proceed. The conditions under which the meeting was convened still prevail. I think it's important to put that point. Uh, and anything else would be something new that would see as, as we move. But I also want to bring this point that it's clearly an intention and depending on counsel you may receive in that period, anything else could happen. And therefore, this committee should proceed on the basis of the conditions under which it was convened, that the decision of the court would have allowed us to proceed. And we proceed as such. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Uh, Honorable Sheikh Imam, you're the last one. Yes, thank you very much, Chairperson. Chairperson, Whilst I do accept that if, and that's if a rescission application is made, it will affect us. At this stage, we must admit there is no application for rescission at this point in time. So let us not run away from that. The program, like the previous speakers have said, the honorable members, is not going to impact to the extent that it's going to have an effect on the outcome of what is going to actually happen in court. And by the time we actually implement this program, an application would have had been made if they intend to make that. Although I'm not sure why there was a delay in already making this application timelessly. So given that, and the fact that if you look at the program, I would suggest that we should proceed with the program for now. And if that application of rescission comes in, then we'll have to relook at the matter. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable uh, Sheikh Imam. Honorable members, 
I think you've spoken very clear on the issue. I want us to step off this item and get to the next item where we're going to get a presentation. This is our own internal work that we must look at it objectively um, and, 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 and guide uh, in terms of exactly what is it that we, we want. This is a very important from start to finish. Uh, and so I'm going to, to, to invite again the team to take us through the draft terms of reference, which also have been sent to you. Fatima, is that you or Barbara? Um, good afternoon, Chairperson. Yes, it is indeed myself, Chair. Um, good afternoon to all the members as well. I'm going to ask him and Corsi to please flight uh, the draft terms of reference for us. Thank you, Demon Corsi. Um, Chair, just a quick recap. At the meeting on 28 July 2021, um, the committee resolved on various issues. Firstly, that the committee intends to adopt a narrow um, a, a narrow scope to the approach in which it's going to um, conduct the inquiry and that it would be limited to the charges that were in the motion. And then that the approach would be a member-led hybrid approach with um, internal and external forensic support. And Chair, at the time, that decision was based on the advice of our office, and in particular, the concern we had that the rules did not provide for the PP's representative to be actively involved in the process, and therefore the use of an evidence leader uh, by the committee may possibly um, result in some unfairness. However, as uh, my colleague Barbara has um, explained in some detail, the Constitutional Court judgment has found that the head of any Chapter 9 institution is entitled to have a legal or other representative uh, participate in removal proceedings. And as such, this representative, if so availed by the PP, will have the right to, amongst other things, cross-examine witnesses and present the PP's case. Chair, this changes the dynamic slightly, and in light of the judgment, we now propose that the external experts, which the committee had already agreed to, play a more active role in the committee. And I will go into some detail on that um, as we move um, through the terms of reference. The committee then also resolved that we will keep public participation limited to persons who can assist with fact-finding, and then all committee meetings will be hybrid. And then lastly, that we must incorporate um, all of the above in a terms of reference. And the committee will recall that our advice was that the rules are not prescriptive to the committee as to how it must perform its task. And of course, that was with good reason. Um, the rules are not unique to the office of the PP or to this um, motion, and the same rules are going to apply to any other person um, who finds themselves the subject of a future motion for removal. Um, therefore, Chair, the, the aim of the terms of reference is to give um, some clarity as to how the process uh, will unfold going forward. And Tim Kosi, we can move to the background. Chair, I'm not going to spend um, any time in the background. Members will be very familiar as to how um, we've reached this point now. Um, except to, to just mention again that NA Rule 12982 states um, in particular that the committee must ensure that the inquiry is conducted in a reasonably and procedurally fair manner within a reasonable time frame. And so we've 
upfront said that the committee agrees to conduct the inquiry in accordance um, with the provisions of this terms of reference, which is based ultimately on the principle of fairness, and that the committee can also then, um, if need be, vary or amend the terms of reference, provided that that principle of fairness is upheld throughout. The legal framework, Chair, we've merely just inserted the basis um, upon which um, a Chapter 9 institution head can be removed. And I won't go into detail on that. Members will be familiar. Members will also be familiar with the fact um, that the NA did adopt these rules um, to govern the removal process. We have attached the rules at the, at the end of the document, Chair. Um, Timokosi number three, objectives of the inquiry. The objective of the inquiry is to assess the charges contained in the motion in order to determine whether the PP is incompetent or has misconducted herself. In other words, Chair falls to the committee to determine the veracity of the charges that are contained in the motion. And then to report to the NA on its findings and recommendations. As members will be aware, the task of this committee is limited to making a recommendation on the question of removal only, and it falls to the NA ultimately to determine whether the PP must be removed or not. Um, and a decision to remove as per um, the constitution will require the resolution of at least two thirds of the assembly to vote in favor of that removal. Format of the inquiry. Um, the inquiry, as we indicated in our last presentation, is a constitutional process to establish on the basis of evidence presented whether the PP is incompetent and or has misconducted herself as alleged in the motion. Um, and as indicated, regardless of the finding of the committee, removal still requires a um, three-quarter majority vote of the assembly. It is not a judicial process, Chair, neither is it an adversarial or quasi-judicial process, but rather an inquisitorial process informed by Parliament's constitutional mandate um, and the principle of fairness must be paramount to the, to the manner in which the committee conducts the inquiry. We've now stated that the committee will utilize the services of an external evidence leader to assist it, subject to provisions which I will detail a bit later. And as I indicated earlier, Chair, the committee initially determined that it will adopt a member-led um, hybrid approach. Uh, but because of the recent uh, developments, we have proposed the use of an evidence leader, leader Nonetheless, the core principle of fairness is central to the format that hasn't changed. And as per our instructions in the last meeting, this, um, this draft terms of reference um, has been drafted in a manner that is going to allow for a balanced process that is beyond reproach and which ultimately allows the committee to base its recommendation on the principle of rationality. The inquiry will be conducted in line with the following witnesses. The committee will invite persons identified by itself as witnesses to submit a sworn statement and thereafter to appear before it, um, if determined necessary, to answer other questions related to the subject matter of the inquiry. And of course, um, Chair, the PP will be called and only after consideration of the evidence um, can a determination be made on whether there are any other potential witnesses that can add value to the process and assist the committee in determining um, whether the PP has in fact misconducted herself or is otherwise incompetent as alleged. In the event that a witness refuses to submit a sworn statement and or avail themselves as requested, the committee may use its power of subpoena as provided for in the Powers and Privileges Act. And um, 
as we always advise you, subpoena is really a measure of last resort when invitees displaying um, an unwillingness to cooperate with um, the request of a parliamentary committee. So we certainly won't start our process by summonsing uh, persons to appear. Regardless of whether persons appear on the basis of a summons or an invitation, they will be requested um, to submit a sworn written statement, including any evidence at least seven days prior to the commencement of their testimony, provided that the statement and evidence is limited to the information contained in the motion. And this again, Chair, is because we have um, resolved that the scope of the inquiry will be limited. Um, the committee will furnish the PP with copies of all statements as received and a list of witnesses it intends calling. This again is to ensure absolute fairness in the process and to allow the PP or her representatives the opportunity to prepare any questions um, and their responses as may be necessary. Questions to witnesses. The evidence leader will present the evidence of a witness to the committee and thereafter all members will be given equal opportunity to pose any further questions to witnesses. And that would be irrespective of whether such member has voting rights in the committee or not. Um, it's very important, Chair, um, as per our last presentation, that members remain actively engaged in the process. And therefore, the intention is not that there's any total reliance on an evidence leader, but rather it should be viewed as um, being a means of assisting members who then still retain their ultimate responsibility for conducting their oversight duties. Um, in the event that members are of the view that a certain witness needs to be recalled, um, it may do so by resolution. That's if there is later evidence um, that makes it necessary to open that those questions again. Um, and the committee can decide at that stage whether those questions will be in writing or whether the identified witness um, should come back for, um, for an oral hearing again. Witnesses to appear under oath or affirmation. Um, all witnesses, and this, regard, this is regardless of whether they are summons or come voluntarily, will be requested to take an oath or affirmation in accordance with NA Rule 168, laid together with the Powers and Privileges Act. And Chair, the rationale here is in fact to protect witnesses um, who give information under oath, insofar as that um, evidence can't be used against them except in relation to a charge of perjury or a charge relating to the evidence itself. The oath will be administered by the chairperson or any other person acting on instructions of the chair. And all witnesses prior to commencing the um, testimony will be informed of the parameters of the inquiry and instructed not to remark on or discuss any matter that is not related to the evidence or the charges um, contained in the motions. Again, witnesses appear to assist the committee in considering the charges and information that is irrelevant should be disregarded. Cross-examination and processing of evidence. Whilst the committee is not a judicial tribunal or court of law, it will permit the PP or her representative to cross-examine any witness, whether identified by the PP or whether that witness is a witness of the committee. Chair, this is in line with the Concord judgment that also speaks um, to the issue of the uh, PP being afforded the right to cross-examine witnesses. In the event that the PP does wish to call a witness, um, notice of same together with a copy of the sworn statement must be provided to the committee, who will in turn provide the PP with a date and time for the appearance of that person. And Chair, this is exactly 
um, for the same reason that the committee will um, provide the public protector with copies of statements that it receives. It's to enable the committee then to prepare themselves um, when that witness appears. Um, the evidence leader and members shall have the right to put any questions to any witnesses called by the PP subject to any reasonable restrictions um, the chairperson may impose. And chair, those may be time restrictions or restrictions based on the type of questioning if it goes beyond the scope um, of the inquiry. The committee will determine the manner in which it will process evidence before it and the weight it will attach to evidence. And in doing so, it may consider any evidence that is relevant to its mandate and may also use its powers of subpoena to gather um, further evidence if it deems necessary as the process unfolds. 4.5, legal representation and Audi. Um, in terms of Rule 129 AD3, um, the committee, as per the findings of the Concord, must afford the holder of public office the right to be heard in their own defence and to be assisted by a legal practitioner or other expert of their choice. Um, the legal practitioner or expert has the right to participate in their capacity as a representative of the PP in the proceedings of the committee including making opening and closing statements, cross-examining witnesses, and raising um, any matter related to the process, again, subject to any reasonable um, time restrictions the chairperson may um, impose. And this chair would, of course, be in line with the role of the chairperson, which is to maintain order um, in meetings and ensure that the business of the committee is conducted in a manner that enables it to fulfill its mandate. The key here is that any determination made by the chair um, during the process must be reasonable so as to ensure that we maintain fairness throughout the process. Prior to the report um, of the committee being adopted and tabled, the PP must be provided with a reasonable opportunity to make written representations on the findings, um, and this chairs in accordance with the principle of Audi Altrum Parton. Um, the committee can decide at a later stage what that time frame will be, um, reasonableness will depend on a number of factors and of course until such time as we have a draft report it would um, not be wise for us to insert a time frame there. The representations of the public protector um, if she wishes to um, utilize um, that opportunity provided to her must be considered by the committee prior to its adoption of the report. Then on to the aspect of evidence leader, number five, then Corsi, you can just move a little bit for me, please. Um, the inquiry, as I've indicated, is inquisitorial in nature, and the role of the evidence leader is not to act as a prosecutor. It's limited to presenting the evidence and putting questions to the public protector or other witnesses um, with the aim of empowering the committee to assess the merits of the evidence in line with its mandate. The format of questioning, whether oral or by way of statement with a view to limiting um, issues that may be in dispute, will be determined by the evidence leader in consultation with the chairperson. Um, regardless of the, of the format um, adopted, the use of an evidence leader is not intended to limit or impede the right of members to put questions of substance or clarity uh, to any witness in the exercise of its oversight function. Um, and I think I've emphasized this quite a bit here that it's important that, that members remain actively engaged in the process. Public participation and transparency. Um, during our last presentation, um, 
we took the committee through section, uh, section 59 of the Constitution, which creates an obligation to facilitate public involvement. Um, and we've also indicated that the NA rules don't dictate the manner in which public participation um, must happen. Um, and it's for the committee to decide um, how, how um, that public participation um, will be managed. Um, we have given the committee various options uh, to facilitate public uh, participation, including invitation for written participation, oral submissions, and targeted invitations. We've also then made it clear that the purpose won't be to consider any personal views that members of the public may have regard uh, may have with regard to the PP, but rather to call for evidence that may assist the committee in fulfilling its mandate. As such, only submissions which relate to the charges in the motion uh, will be considered. Then, of course, um, Chair, in line with the um, obligation for us to be transparent, meetings of the committee will be conducted in open and wherever possible broadcasts on Parliament TV and on our social media channels. Venue for meetings. Um, meetings will be held at a su suitable COVID-compliant venue within the precinct um, or any other suitable venue as determined by the chairperson from time to time. Um, and where necessary, um, hybrid virtual physical meetings uh, will be held. Time frames, Chair, the committee um, will prioritise the inquiry in the programme of the NA, and it agrees to use its best endeavours to conclude the inquiry within a reasonable time. So, yeah, I just want to remind members um, that Rule 12982 provides that the inquiry must take place within a reasonable uh, time frame. So it's important uh, that there's some commitment to ensuring that the process uh, runs smoothly. Then lastly, resources. An external evidence leader, other experts as may be determined by the committee and a dedicated team of officials, including committee secretaries and assistants, a researcher, content advisor, and legal advisors will support the committee under the direction of the chairperson. Chair, much of this has already um, been done, and the committee already has the dedicated internal um, support, as members will be aware. In terms of the evidence leader, um, if the committee so decides to move with this proposal, an evidence leader will be procured in line with the procurement uh, prescripts of Parliament. Um, Chair, that's all from my side. Um, we will take uh, any questions that members may have. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Fatima Ibrahim. Uh, if you, in your team, anybody who wants to add anything, if, if not, sir, I can proceed to invite the members. Anybody in your team, Fatima, who wants to add? Uh, Chairperson, we have, as a team, considered the terms of reference and drafted it jointly. Um, so I think for now we're willing to engage with members and then make any necessary um, changes that the committee um, resolves on. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Ms. Ibrahim, uh, uh, for, for that presentation. Honorable members, what has been presented is going to be your footprint uh, and the legacy of work that you are going to do. As we have said before, this is a, a pioneering process. It's never been done before. I'm going to invite you to, to make contributions that uh, must assist us in enriching this. 
uh, so that we're able to have a very good tight process that is close to being beyond uh, questioning and so on. So feel free to, to, to speak your mind in, in assisting us getting a proper process. I, I now recognize the following speakers, Honorable Hanif Hendricks, followed by Honorable Lotrit, Honorable Lakude, Honorable Heron, Honorable Denner, Honorable Nola, Honorable Tlape, uh, and uh, Mananiso in that order. Honorable Hanif, the platform is yours. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chi. Uh, Honorable Chi, uh, you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said this is pioneering work and that this is a, what I call a hell of a footprint. Uh, it takes oversight. but I'm listening. <laughs> it, it takes uh, oversight to definitely a, a, a new level. Uh, but uh, from a pragmatic point of view, Honorable Chair, we know at the end of the day that a two-thirds majority is required, for example, to remove the public protector. Surely, surely, you know, uh, consideration must have been given. Is there a reasonable chance of success that a two-thirds majority would be achieved? I don't say if it's not achieved, that all this will be a waste of time. We're putting in a lot of resources. Uh, it's going to take a lot of time. We now are, we are now up against the uh, legal eagles that will cross-examine us. Uh, it will even be more uh, dramatic than the JSE hearings that we recently had with the election of a chief justice. I don't know if I'm out of order or whether it's a reasonable question, but is there a reasonable chance that there will be a, uh, a two-thirds majority? Did the EFF, for example, and the DA and the ANC, maybe over a cup of coffee said, you know, this is a prima facie case, uh, you know, depending on what comes out, you know, uh, 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 this is how we're going to exercise our vote. Is there a reasonable chance of getting a two-thirds majority? If not, Chair, aren't we wasting our time? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for that question, Honorable Hendricks. We will run over it. Bye, Ranki. Honorable Lotrit. Thank you very much, Chairperson. And um, yes, uh, I don't want to refer to hell, but heaven forbid that uh, we decide on that before we go through the process. Um, Chair, I don't have a, a real problem with the terms of reference. I think it's a very reasonable and clear document. I just have a question um, in terms of public participation. And I know that um, legal services said that these are some proposals and options that we do have, but I would just like some more clarity. Um, specifically in terms of the way in which it will be uh, done, uh, the either written participation or oral submissions, other witnesses are going to submit sworn statements. Um, they will have to take the oath or affirmation. And that will obviously also um, 
give some weight to the evidence presented to the committee. Um, what will be the case in terms of the public participation? Uh, because I am concerned that we will, even though it says that people won't come and make or allow to make their personal views about the PP um, known to the committee, but I am a little bit concerned in, in managing that process. And then I think also perhaps you refer to this being groundbreaking. Indeed, it is. It is the, the Section 194 process that we are now embarking on. But I think we should also learn from uh, what happened in Parliament with the ESCOM inquiry. And I think uh, that was a very good example for us to follow. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Let me take this opportunity to welcome uh, the terms of references as they have been uh, presented to us. Indeed, Honorable Chair, it is a working document which um, we believe will guide us as we embark on this process, the first uh, of its kind since the dawn of our democracy, that we will be doing this uh, inquiry on the on the fitness of the head of a Chapter 9 institution to hold office. Ours also is to embark on a fact-finding uh, mission. We don't have anything uh, that, that will say uh, we have a predetermined outcome. We will be using, it will guide us in ensuring that the, the information, the material that will be presented to us, that will be given to us, is what we are going to use. So, Honorable Chair, I also want to suggest that this document be subjected to legal scrutiny so that all the gaps are closed when we start with doing this work of ours, the inquiry. Nothing can, will, will then stop us. And also, Honorable Chair, uh, I just want to propose that uh, in doing so, let's adopt it as is, subject it to legal scrutiny, and also it will assist in ensuring that other services are procured as uh, the, 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 the presenter said that um, the issue of the evidence leader uh, will be procured as soon as we, we adopt this, this, uh, these terms of references. Thank you very much, Honorable Thank you, Honorable Labude. Uh, Honorable Heron. Uh, thank you, Chair, and thank you uh, to the team for the presentation. Um, if I may, I, I have one um, question to the team, and then just if I may comment um, in response to Honorable Hendricks, that I think we must be cautious about anticipating the outcome of this process. Um, we shouldn't be concerned about whether um, the outcome may require a two-thirds majority or not. I think we must go into this objectively and understanding that the outcome may not require any action by the National Assembly. So. Um, I think it's it's inappropriate to be worried about the two-thirds majority. My question really is, um, this process is an inquisitorial process, not a trial. I mean, uh, uh, an inquiry process and not a trial. And as the terms of reference, I think, correctly say, it's an inquisitorial process rather than an adversarial process. 
So it, it raises questions to me, and it's, a, it's not a big point, but I think it's a, a point about setting the right tone that this is an inquiry and not a trial. When we start saying that the public protector or her legal representative may cross-examine any witnesses called by the committee, but the committee will question any witnesses called by the public protector. Um, I would propose, uh, unless it arises out of the court, the Concord judgment, that the word should be questioned and not cross-examined wherever there is, wherever it is used. Because I think cross-examine brings us to an adversarial space um, in tone and to be consistent, if the, um, if the members get to question the witness presented by the public protector, um, then the public protector should question and not cross-examine witnesses um, called by the, by the committee. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable uh, Heron. We got you there. Akhbar Denner. Thank you, Chair. Let's hope it goes better with my pronunciation. Um, Chair, I would just like to gain an idea of what would constitute a reasonable time frame, please. Thank you. Short and sweet. Okay. Reasonable time frame. Thank you, Honorable Dana. Honorable Mola. Well, thank you very much, Chair. Let us, uh, let us welcome the the presentations both, uh, but I, I got cut uh, after the presentation of the of the judgment. But I think uh, the committee has welcomed uh, the judgment, uh, and uh, equally on the issue of the correspondence. Uh, I think uh, one one would recall that uh, uh, when the matter was um, before the KPI court, which had uh, part A and part B. Uh, we were under no obligation to stop the process until the court would have declared so. So I think even, even in this uh, scenario, Chair, let us proceed as the committee with the inquiry so that uh, the issue of fairness is addressed uh, accordingly. Uh, we'll proceed, Chair, until such time if there's any court uh, declaration that we must uh, halt the process. The, the issue of the terms of reference, uh, I think uh, I've, I've noticed uh, two things. The balance on the, the legal representation of the public protector, uh, the alterum patem rule, the fairness that they were not made to actually usurp the role of the public protector to account to parliament and the people of South Africa. Equality noted is the issue of the evidence leader that it did not usurp equally the role of members of parliament from proceeding with the inquiry as they are obligated to by the constitution. So I think Chair, that's, 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 part, that's parts that I've noticed, that although you have an evidence leader, but it does not take away the fact that members of parliament will still perform, perform their own duties. Although you have the legal representation as the incumbent public protector, but the public protector still 
is placed with an obligation to answer to the issues at hand, which I think, Chair, as I move to support the adoption of the, of the terms of reference, I, I wish to equally concur with Honorable Lagode that uh, I think we do have uh, Parliament Legal Services in the committee. So in checking these gaps, if are there any gaps as it relates to the terms of, uh, of, of, of reference. There is an issue chair of meetings and the venue. Do want chair to propose to the committee, we must prioritize physical meetings. Uh, unless otherwise there are conditions or circumstances that prevent us from having a physical meeting. Then thank you very much, Chair. That's all from my side. Thank you, Honorable Nola. Thanks, uh, Honorable Chair. Greetings to colleagues and your good self. Chair, like you rightfully say, this is a, we are venturing in a new terrain. We don't have any baseline measurement. We don't have any reference as this committee. Hence, I agree with the notion that says, let's subject the terms of reference to legal opinion so that in your words, we get a watertight document for this process. And based on what my honorable member has also indicated on the process being inquisitorial. I think, Chair, for me, it is inquisitorial, it is also adversarial. And in that notion, Chair, as I support the adoption so that the work must start as the first item and first speakers indicated, let's um, have this document also as a living document. Like I'm saying, we don't have baseline, we don't have any reference. So that, based on everything that has been said here, we are able to navigate. Currently, this terms of reference is the only compass that we have in navigating our space through this new terrain. So I would support legal, subjected to legal opinion. Let's have it as a living document so that as and when, as and when we want to navigate through all these issues that members are raising, we are empowered as this committee. We don't have any impediment. And as I said, I accept and second that we adopt it. Thanks, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Klape. Honorable Sheikh Imam. Yes, thank you very much, Chairperson. Chairperson, I want us to be very cautious when we preempt the outcome of an inquiry of this nature. Uh, it's really a matter of concern, uh, you know, if we already looking at the issue of the composition and the majority uh, members that will participate from a section that may want a certain outcome when we make statements of this nature or inquire. So we need to be very, very careful because this is supposed to be an objective uh, 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 exercise and an inquiry and only after we've gone through the entire process and then reached our findings 
then only would we be able to to deal with recommendations and things. But my question is, uh, which I wanted a point of clarity, should they be deemed necessary to request further particulars and or documentation? Uh, will there be a time frame for that, uh, a period of that, if we needed to request it from the public protector or from other sources? Uh, should it happen in the beginning or as we go on when it is necessary? I'd just like some clarity on that because that might become necessary in order to reach an outcome. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Sheikh Iman. Honorable Mananiso. Okay, uh, thank you, Chairperson. Let me start by actually welcoming the presentation. And as well, I must applaud the real team for actually assisting us in ensuring that we have a living document. And I'm partly covered by Honorable Kakuke and Ngola and Nancy to say that uh, we need to ensure that we use this document as it when we go on with the process. However, one is also covered on the issue of preventing outcomes. I think as members of parliament, we won't be doing justice both to the party involved and ourselves to actually preempt in terms of uh, the outcomes. And one would want to emphasize that as constitutionalists, we must ensure that our process from start to finish embraces fairness. And again, one wants to say, when we deal with constitutional matters, consistency is key. So as we get into this particular process, we must, we must ensure that everything that we do is consistent and everybody is treated equal. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Manani. So just fix your sound there. It was struggling a bit. Uh, Honorable Milham. Thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, I have um, a comment and, and then a, a question of clarity, if I may. So my, my comment relates to the evidence leader and the importance of that evidence leader in building um, a record of, of the case. Uh, if we rely on members to drive this, we, we're going to end up going all over the place. And, and honestly, an evidence leader will provide coherence and consistency and, and basically package the, the, the evidence for us in a manner that is then understandable and, and can be utilized to reach some kind of decision. So that's the comment. Chairperson, then I, I need a clarity with regard to what is meant by obtaining a legal opinion on the terms of reference. The, the terms of reference were drafted by parliamentary legal services. Um, and and I, I'd really like to know what we're looking for a legal opinion on is there an element of it that we're not clear about? Is there something that we 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 want to discuss further? What 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 is another um, lawyer or advocate going to say that parliamentary legal services have not said in that document? I also think that we need to be very very cautious about saying that this is a living document. Um, once we adopt the terms of reference, those become our, our Bible, our rules for engagement, our rules for, for how we proceed with this matter. And if we say that it's a living document, that it's subject to change down the line, we're then saying, well, you know what, I don't like the rule and somewhere at some point and, and we're open to amending it. So I think we need to be very, very cautious about using words like living document. Um, once we adopt those rules, uh, the, those terms of reference, they must be binding 
on the committee and on the witnesses and on the public protector. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Kevin Miliam. Kulua, Yes. Thank you, Chairperson and uh, colleagues. I would like to request that some of us perhaps are not members of this uh, committee, that we be given uh, some documents. Documents, for instance, which would come from the public protector, which indicates how many cases has she presided over since she came into that office. Of those cases, how many have been challenged? That is a judicial review. And of those cases, how many has she won and lost? Out of those cases which she recommended that the government must deal with, how many has the state departments have implemented those findings of her? So when we approach this debate, we're not just going to look at one individual. We want to approach the whole thing holistically. And uh, secondly, did she make any suggestions to the portfolio, relevant portfolio committees in the past? And especially around the beefing up of the public protector in terms of appointing the relevant staff and qualified staff. And indeed, lastly, we need to know when they said he was, she was an intelligence agent, does that mean that if one has been working for the state security services after 1994, that person cannot work for any other department or work for the government. Please clarify those things for us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Nikolua. Uh, um, that was the last hand. Maybe let me give you, Fatima and Tim, to respond. Uh, there are a few issues that I want to raise. I can raise those after your response. Your, your plate is already full. Okay, thank you, Chair. Um, Chair, I'm going to go through the questions as I've captured them. Um, obviously, we don't need to respond to comments. Um, the first question, Chair, from Honorable um, Hendricks. The rules specifically provided for a process where um, a panel was established in order to determine whether there was prima facie evidence or not. And the rules only allow that where there is a prima facie case to be answered, um, that it would proceed to the next stage um, if the assembly so agrees. And um, that was indeed done. The purpose of this process now is to consider that evidence very closely and then to determine whether there's merit in the motion or not. And um, what, the, what the vote outcome is going to be is irrelevant. The committee needs to show that it's, it's followed a rational um, process in making its um, ultimate recommendation. So whilst I, I did in fact mention in my presentation last year that there is this political element um, 
because of the fact that it goes ultimately to the House for the vote, uh, the fact of the matter remains is that this committee is seized with considering that motion and then making a recommendation in respect of that motion, whatever that recommendation may be at the end. Um, Chair, then in terms of um, Honourable Lottery's uh, comment, that was also our concern that you don't want to open a Pandora's uh, box where every um, Tom Dicko Harry that actually knows nothing about the um, substance of the matter is giving the input. The committee wouldn't want to be seized with that. So certainly it has to be very narrow. Nothing prevents the committee from... Um, from the point where it receives um, submissions, if it receives any submissions, to then consider whether it wants those persons to appear before it as witnesses or otherwise to submit sworn uh, written statements. That can be dealt with um, at the time. And then, of course, Chair, it might not be necessary for everyone to give a sworn statement. Members will recall during the ESCOM um, inquiry process, for example, some of the public participation there actually just took the form of um, leading academics coming to the committee and explaining um, certain uh, legislative issues. So likewise here, um, there may be uh, academia interested in, in highlighting some of those constitutional and legislative obligations and functions of the PP in order to assist the committee um, in making its determinations. Uh, but certainly the intention is uh, not to open that Pandora's box. So we will need to be very careful how we craft um, any invitation for participation. And of course, as we've said, nothing prevents the committee from simply doing targeted um, uh, targeted invitations as well. Uh, Chair, then, um, Honourable Helen, raised uh, the issue of the terminology and the use of the word cross-examine. Our first draft of this terms of reference, which was done shortly after that meeting uh, that took place last year, in fact, didn't refer to cross-examination at all. It is, in fact, the Constitutional Court that raised it in the context of the public protector's um, legal representative. And that's why it's added. I'm more than happy to soften uh, that wording, Chair. I think that there is consensus on the fact that this is not an adversarial process um, at all. But as I've now indicated, the, the reason for that um, that use of, of terminology like that was simply because of the Concord referring to it. Um, then um, Honourable Denner asked a question about what would be a reasonable time frame. Chair, that's a difficult thing to determine without consideration of all the facts before the committee. What would be reasonable in one situation may not be reasonable in another situation. There are many things that are going to impact a process like this. Um, for example, the number of witnesses that you may have. It may be that there are no witnesses that the committee wishes to call. So that, that would make the process a little bit quicker. It may be um, that the public protector has a long list of witnesses that she wishes to call, which then may lengthen the process. Similarly, are there going to be objections to the way things unfold? Um, all of those things are going to impact um, how we deal with it, but reasonableness at every stage can be considered. Uh, I know there was a question later on, and I'll deal with that as well, where a member um, asked about, I think it was Imam Sheikh that um, asked about reasonableness in terms of um, other timeframes um, when you're giving the public protector a chance to respond and so on. That would also depend at the time, the nature of the questions, uh, the nature of what we're asking somebody to do, which is why I said that when we 
provide the the ultimate Audi to comment on the draft report, it would be necessary for us to consider the length of that draft report, how detailed it is. All of those would influence the time um, that the committee then decides uh, to afford the public protector. But the key chair is that the that there is fairness, regardless of um, what timeframes we determine as the process unfolds. Um, Chair, I think that was that was all. Panto uh, Alamisa, Honourable Alamisa, asked a question which I know he raised in the previous meeting as well about various um, bits of information that he would like the committee um, to consider and to um, ask the public protector to provide us with this information. Chair, as I've indicated, once a um, evidence leader is on board, we will determine how many of these things can be dispensed with on paper. So instead of um, presenting these as oral questions, because it may be difficult, um, given the, the, the nature of the questions for the public protector to provide a oral response when she's on the spot, nothing would prevent the committee from sending formal correspondence asking um, for a response on all of the questions that Honorable Valamisa has raised, and I have uh, made a note of that. So we're a little bit ahead of the process, but when we get to that stage, we will ensure um, if the committee so so agrees uh, that these questions are put to the public protector um, so that the committee has that information going forward. Um, Chair, I think that that was all that I captured, unless there's something that I've missed out on. I'm going yeah. to ask um, my colleagues, uh, Dr. Lewitz and Mr. Njikela, if they wish to add uh, to anything that I may have missed if they want to supplement. Thank you, Chair. Yes, they are. They must. Uh, there are a few things you've skipped. Uh, let them come in. Uh, uh, thank you, Chair. Um, you'll have to guide me because I, I thought Fatima comprehensively covered what um, I also jotted down. Uh, so perhaps the Chair can indicate to us which questions. Would you, like to, would you like to deal with this uh, uh, dichotomy issue of uh, the need to, to, to be very sure uh, in terms of the, the legal uh, um, rationality of the terms of reference, and, and then that would have been put on the table to say, subject this to a, a, a process that says to us, you're on the right track. And then there will be a question that says, you are yourself a legal team, so why would that be done? That, that's the first, if you want to get into that immediately. Um, thank you, Chief. Uh, Chairperson, as I indicated earlier, the terms of reference were drafted um, by the legal team and subjected to internal uh, scrutiny. Um, of course, members are at liberty to request that it be looked at by external legal advisors if they, if they so wish. The process is new for us as well, Chair, so we, we're not working off a template where we have a terms of reference that Parliament has already adopted in a similar process. There is no similar process. What we did try to do is, um, one, ensure that fairness is paramount um, and, and to be quite generous in the way in which we've drafted it. Secondly, to take the um, decisions of the committee as per the last meeting and make sure that we capture those. Um, but, Chair, we, we rely on the committee now for guidance, whether you wish for us to seek external advice um, on that or not. But I, I just want the committee to be in mind that the Constitution does specifically say that 
that Parliament has the right to determine its processes. And the reason that we advise initially to have a terms of reference is to make it easier for the committee to navigate this new space as the committee goes forward. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure what the purpose would be. I would prefer if members um, raise particular issues in the terms of reference that they would want us to get advice. Let's, let's say perhaps the question is being asked to say what in the terms of reference is, 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 is prone to being challenged. Uh, um, so, Chair, we, we, as I've indicated, we've tried really hard to ensure that it is beyond the reproach and that it's completely fair. That was, that was the starting point for the draft. There is nothing that jumps out um, to us at all. Of course, there may be the question of whether the terms of reference must be provided to the PP for comment. Um, our own view is that it shouldn't be. As I've indicated, it's a constitutional imperative of the committee to determine its own uh, procedures, which is exactly what the committee is doing. And all the rules require is that the process is fair and reasonable. And I don't think, Chair, that there's any element of that TOR that is not reasonable. In fact, it goes beyond what could ordinarily be expected. For example, um, ensuring that there is an Audi on the draft report and so on. Um, so unless members have something very specific that they wish us to go and consider um, more closely and then to seek external legal opinion on, um, we, are, we are positive that, that the document is fair um, as it is in its current form, Chair. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Um, if there are no additions from your team, um, and I will... Uh, because we need to proceed to the other next items. I'll ask if there are follow-ups from members, but maybe before that, just to, for your own uh, digestion of the issues, uh, Fatima and team, just questions as to whether what I will raise should live in a terms of reference, or those should be matters that are dealt with by uh, uh, the chair, for example, such issues as uh, would you, in terms of the questioning by members, the, the question, the issue of the set time, the time allocation, um, because if you don't do that, you can drag this process forever, um, because you've got to avoid issues of unlimited time. Uh, and then in terms of the process itself, is it necessary that you you will reflect on the issue of attendance as evidence is presented as we go through this process? Because if Richard Yankee is is not uh, comes in and out and is not present and misses out on a lot of evidence and comes in at a point of decision making. Uh, isn't there a, 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 a challenge, a little bit of a thread there that could be challenged to say he, he would not have applied his mind on this because he would have been absent for, for all of this time? I, I do understand also that the issue of quorum is taken as a parliamentary committee's work. Uh, and I'm posing this that also that's not something that we need to be reflected uh, in, in, in the terms of reference uh, itself, were 35 members uh, as we are here. And my last point, you have attended to it. 
but I'll, I'll push it back to you. Uh, are we not too generous on 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 on, on section six, uh, no section four point five, especially C and D? You have touched that point about that Audi, uh, where we give this time, uh, we we listen to the PP, and then before we we finalize, we give uh, the report. Uh, just uh, kind of uh, devil's advocates on those issues. Your quick responses, and then we'll proceed to the next items. Um, Chairperson, much, much of what you raise um, is procedural issues in respect of how the meetings are going to be managed going forward. The, the normal assembly rules still apply to this um, committee, notwithstanding that the committee is um, intends adopting a terms of reference. And so I trust that those, those issues will be managed as and when um, they arise. Um, it would be important um, that the chair uh, manages the process in such a way that it is reasonable and it is fair um, to everybody involved. Um, that was on the first issue, Chair. On the, on the second issue, please remind me what was your, what was your question? I, I spoke of the attendance. Um, yeah, the, the, that is procedural, Chair. Compared to your decision making as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That can be managed procedurally, Chair. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Fatima. Honorable members, I think uh, it's proper that uh, we leave, before we leave the item, let me again put it uh, to you, members. Um, there are suggestions for us to adopt these uh, terms of reference. Uh, can I hear you on the matter? Honorable Lotrit, uh, followed by Jagude and Mananiso. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Um, I really think that we should adopt these terms of reference. Um, <clears throat> Quite frankly, um, I think we have been informed, and, and I'm quite sure I can't remember the specific case, but that the Constitutional Court has indicated that Parliament has the right to decide on its own processes. I think our legal team have made absolutely sure that uh, all the elements of natural justice is adhered to, and it is up for us as Parliament to decide on our own internal procedures and rules. Thank you. Thank you very much, is there support to that? Honorable Jagude? Honorable Chairperson, thank you very much. Uh, I second the adoption of the terms of references as they are. Thanks. Thank you, Honorable Jagude. Uh, I see the other hand, uh, perhaps uh, you want to say something different, Honorable Malaniso, Honorable Hendricks, and Maneli. No, uh, thank you, Chair. I'm actually covered by two members. Thank you, Honorable Hendricks. Uh, Chair, we're quite happy with the terms of reference, although we're going to grapple with the fact that the process mustn't be adversarial. And it started because of a motion by a political party that the public technique must be fired. So surely, you know, I don't know how they're going to deal with it, uh, the political party that, uh, uh, you know, uh, put the motion, uh, they were quite uh, decisive. We want to fired. So uh, in this particular process, uh, you know, it is, I don't know how they're going to traverse 
the terms of reference, which says that it mustn't be adversarial. So they need to move away from their position, uh, which they articulated to the nation that a public procurement must be fired, and they must, must say, look, we are now, I have a prima facie case, we have an open mind, and I just feel that there will be some difficulty uh, for the party that proposed the motion uh, now suddenly, uh, you know, to adopt a different stance. Thank you. But I support the terms of reference. Thank you, Honorable Henry. We leave those to the House uh, for, for debate. Honorable members, the, the, the terms of reference have duly been adopted. Uh, I, I want us to move to the next point. Um, the next point is about the, the, the draft program. Uh, Hello, uh, thank you very much. I'm not sure if you, uh, I saw Mr. Olomisa is been uh, uh, trying to, to get your attention to. Uh-uh. He opens the cameras and then I know it is him. So don't speak on his behalf. <laughs> I know when he's raising a hand. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, Honorable Miss. Combatant was. Good afternoon, Chairperson. Good afternoon, members, uh, colleagues, and guests. And thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, the program uh, uh, is not different from uh, what was initially presented uh, uh, in 2021 to the committee. Except safe to say that, Chairperson, uh, uh, we have to we had to change the dates, uh, as you had indicated earlier that uh, the committee had to hold for some time to allow other processes uh, to unfold. So, Chairperson, it starts with today's meeting. It runs from the, uh, the 20th of July, which was last year, until the 22nd of September. But this uh, uh, segment starts with today's meeting. And after today's meeting, it's been done. Uh, the, the, the terms of reference were adopted. Members were briefed on the Constitutional Court judgment. And we are now uh, getting briefing from uh, on the program and uh, with the hope that it will also be adopted. Uh, as a working document, as it was uh, 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 last year. Uh, so after today's meeting, we have allowed then a month uh, uh, for the processes that uh, uh, legal services has outlined and also to ensure that any document that needs to get to members uh, does get to members Chaperson. Uh, which will then be followed after that by uh, the briefing uh, on the 29th of March uh, on the evidence before the committee. And immediately after that, Chairperson, there's another uh, period, a break pre- period of a month uh, uh, to allow uh, the public protector to be issued with the first Audi. Uh, and immediately after that, Chairperson, then the committee will, will resume in May. Uh, with a briefing on the responses of the public protector from that uh, Audi. And uh, thereafter, Chairperson, we have proposed hearings uh, for that week of uh, the first week of May, uh, which will then go on to the second week of May. And then after that, those hearings, Chair, from the witnesses, uh, we have set two weeks uh, to process the evidence that has been received uh, from the witnesses before we invite uh, the public protector 
on the 30, from the 31st of May to then come and uh, appear before uh, the committee. That will happen. Uh, we've put three days for that to happen, Chairperson, which will again be followed by another break of two weeks uh, to allow uh, for processing of the evidence from the public protector. And uh, after that, the committee will then sit and have its own deliberations uh, until uh, the 17th of June. Uh, after it will be constituency uh, as per the latest uh, draft uh, parliamentary framework uh, from 20th June to 15 August 2022. Uh, then when we resume Chepesin, the members will be then taken through a draft report that would have used uh, that period of constituency as, uh, the, as the team that supports this committee to, to, to produce a draft report which will be considered by the members and uh, then uh, possible adoption. Uh, and thereafter, Chairperson in August will give another month from the 18th of August to the 18th of September, uh, will be afforded uh, to the public protector to consider the second Audi. Uh, as the report chair after the draft report has been adopted, then be sent to the public protector for uh, uh, for comment. And, uh, yeah. and then uh, the last uh, three days, Chair, will be the consideration of the public protector's responses, and then uh, which will then uh, lead to the adoption of uh, the committee uh, final uh, report. Chairperson, uh, that is uh, what we could uh, uh, work on now, and uh, uh, I give it to you, Chairperson, from here. And thank you very much. Thank you very much, Tembogosi. Uh, uh, um, honorable members, uh, the draft program was also sent to you. I invite uh, your comments to the presentation uh, in the light of what you have discussed earlier on as well. Um, and as long as you also understand, and this is where, uh, Honorable Miriam, you have a, a living document, because there might be changes in this, as you go through the process of identifying evidence leader and, and the program might change from here and there. That becomes a living document. But let me invite for your comments. Any comments? If none, uh, you'll indicate if you all agree to this program. I don't see any hand. Are we all happy? with the draft program. Honorable Lagude. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Uh, we appreciate the program as a living document. We should believe uh, will assist us in doing our job and also, if need be, it will be amended as you have already said. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. I move for the adoption of this uh, program. Thank you, Honorable Lagute. There's a mover for the adoption. Honorable Milham. You must help me just pronounce your surname. I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> Chair, my surname is Malam. Uh, yes. And uh, I second the adoption of the of the program. Thank you very much, Honorable Mayan. Um, we proceed. I see further two hands. Honorable uh, Mananiso and Nola. No, thank you, Chair. I'm actually covered. Thank you. Honorable Nola. 
Well, thanks, Chair. No, I, 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 I heard that option. But there is, there is only one, uh, one uh, uh, mistake on the hearing of the public protector. We have three. We have, we have day one. We have day three and day three instead of day one, two, three. Okay. It's just an error, Chair. Nothing much. Otherwise, I heard the option. Well, that demonstrates that you're paying attention to the document. Thank you. Uh, it, it will be corrected as such. Thank you. Let's let's move to the next item, which will be our last item, the minutes. Can Tenugosi present the minutes uh, that members have received? Uh, we'll go page by page. Uh, and uh, I'd like members, as we do that, for each page, if we have corrections to indicate. Thank you, proceed. Is that uh, an old hand, Honorable Nwala, that you did not put down? Honorable Nwala, is your hand up? It's an old chair, sorry. Yeah, thank you. No, it's an old. All right, thank you. Proceed to the next page. That's page three, members. Page four, go to page four, which is the last page. Thank you. Any corrections, members? No corrections. Honorable Manelli? No, thank, thank you, Chair. It, it may not be a correction, just to uh, put it in context. There, there's a point there about meetings that they shall be on hybrid. Uh, just because we have adopted now the terms of reference, I, I thought it's important uh, just for consistency uh, that the terms of reference leaves that determination uh, to the committee whether it will prioritize physical or good hybrid route or or, or any other way. <clears throat> but that contextualization chair is also informed by the fact that at that time we were also at a particular level in terms of uh, uh, COVID uh, regulations. So I just thought it's important so that it doesn't look like we've made uh, two separate decisions. Thank you, Chair. Otherwise, the, the minutes are great. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Manili, for, for that intervention. Um, are we still on correction before I move for the I ask for the move for the adoption, Honorable uh, uh, Jane. You now cause no longer Manani, so in the same meeting. I don't know what's happening. Have you just got married in this meeting, Honorable Sibul, uh, Jane? No, thank thank you, Chair, because uh, it's my footprint. Uh, I would like to actually second the adoption of the minutes as a true reflection. With the amendment by okay, just hold, just hold back. I had not asked that first. I was still just completing the the corrections 
And uh, whilst you're on the platform, then I can ask that if there's any mover for the adoption of the minutes. Honorable Mananiso, Koza. Thank you, Chair. As I was indicating, I move for the adoption of the minutes. Thank you, Honorable Mananiso. Any seconder to that uh, move for adoption of the minutes? Honorable uh, Maneli. Thank you, Chair. I second. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much, Honorable Maneli. The minutes have been duly adopted. Uh, honorable members, that's uh, our last item of the meeting. Just uh, a, a, a comment from my side. Firstly, to, to thank you for, for your participation and guiding this important meeting and, 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 and having assisted uh, directing a process towards a, a particular direction. Uh, as indicated earlier on, we will keep you informed and in touch about what we discussed at the very beginning uh, of the intentions that were ventilated in this meeting from the Office of the Public Protector South Africa. But I do want to make a, 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 an appeal that you continue doing that, that uh, for us to stay objective in this process, but also to, to play our oversight role. Uh, I do want us to, to relegate uh, all other matters that will be, that will then reach debate uh, into the house so that the committee stay focused on the task at hand. Uh, I, I know that you, you, it's your space to, to, to raise political issues at all the time. Uh, I think you'll greatly assist me if we just stay on course on, on, on playing uh, the role of uh, uh, directing this inquiry in, the, in a very proper, proper manner. Otherwise, thank you very much for your time. The time now is just about 25 to 4, uh, having started at 2. Thank you, colleagues, honorable members, and the team that prepared the work and presented here, and everybody else who have joined us in this meeting. The meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Long live the chair. Well done to the chair. Long yes. live. Yes.